The following is a hoop ball presentation. Yo, yo, yo! Welcome to another edition of NBA Today Hoop Ball Presentation. I'm your host Corbin Forge. Follow me on Twitter, as always, at Corbin NBA. Make sure to check out the fine folks of Hoop Ball on Twitter at Hoop Ball Tweets online Hoop. Dash ball.com. We're back. It's been a minute. Uh, you know, we're just going to keep right on rolling like we never left. Um, and we're talking Cleveland Cavs. Of course, for this, I'm intrigued by the Cavs. A lot going on, a lot of young pieces. But I figure, hey, I'm I'm not the expert, but I know someone who is. Uh, another SBC alum, host of the Cavs Central Pod, my good friend Justin Matcham. You can follow him on Twitter at JustinMatch26. Justin, how's it going, man? It's going well, man. I'm, I'm glad we're finally getting to do this. You know, it's been something I've been looking forward to for a while. So glad to hop on with you. Hey, I appreciate it, man. You've been working with me throughout a couple of hiccups that I would share on air, but y'all don't want to hear. But listen, it's good to have <laughs> Justin on here. We're going to break down the Cleveland Cavs. They've been an interesting team, I think, the last couple of years since LeBron left. And and this isn't based off how they performed on the floor, but, but just as a team um, – themselves and real quick I mean we can kind of go down the roster the record but let, let's kind of start with where they finish the 2019-2020 season they finished 19 and 46 they were 15th in the Eastern Conference uh they were coached at first by John Beeline for the first 54 games he went 14 and 40 then they were replaced by J.B. Bickerstaff who went five and six to close out the year they were 25th in offensive rating. They were 29th in defensive rating. Uh, it was kind of a rough year for Cleveland altogether. But, like, I know, at least that's from my vantage point, as far as what you saw, Justin, you know, watching this team day in and day out, you know, during the season, as a quick season review, what were the highlights or lowlights that you uh, witnessed uh, watching Cleveland? Well, I think most of the highlights, I would say, came under the bigger staff little – run that we had there at the end. Overall, it was a weird season. It was a really, really weird season. But I would say yeah. that there was progress. Obviously, you know, some new pieces introduced that came in with mixed results. But I think a highlight was finally bringing in Bickerstaff. Um, another one was just, I guess as far as just looking at a highlight of the season, you have, you know, the KPJ game where, you know, he scored 30 and I went over the heat. Uh, there was another game before Andre came to the Cavs in which Tristan scored 35 to beat the Pistons in Detroit. It was an overtime win. I was actually at that game and got to see Tristan oh, Thompson's wow. career high scoring night. Um, That's cool. Looking at some, yeah, it really was. But uh, looking at some lows on the season, um, you can look at the Kevin Love drama <laughs> that we got to see throughout the season, which um, was was. Interesting, to say the least. Um, just some on-court tantrums, him throwing kind of a baseball pat, like chucking chucking the basketball at Jetty from very short range. We've obviously seen <laughs> Sexton not passing him the ball and him being quite upset about that. And then we also had the whole, the, the whole John Beeline experience from, you know, just the offense not working out the way that everybody had planned to the slugs incident that everybody knows about. We don't need to go into any too far detail on that. Everybody, I feel like, pretty much knows the situation there. Yeah. But, yeah, I would say really just a weird season. But 
there are reasons to be optimistic at the end of the day. I think things ended on a more positive note than they started. I get that, and that's good. I mean, you'd rather have a team, especially with the record that they had, being able to look to the future and say, okay, you know what? We're not the worst in terms of the direction we have is positive. There's some clear room for improvement and that we actually may have the, let's just say, the, the wherewithal um, and, and the pieces needed to kind of continue that upward trajectory. So that's good. Nowhere to go from up uh, unless you're the Knicks, in which case you stay down where you are. But um, for Cleveland, <laughs> <laughs> looking after the season, I guess before we get down to the players, what are your thoughts on the coaching staff, the front office, you can kind of go down as to why Beeline didn't work. I think it was kind of obvious in terms from the minute he signed on, just not really having a feel of his roster, kind of going from where in college you're the man as a coach in the NBA, you're most certainly not that. And then, of course, like you said, the the slug story that we just don't got to go into. But, like, after that, into Baker's staff, and then even looking at Colby Altman and just, like, what he's done since he's taken over at the helm, what are your thoughts on the coaching staff and the front office? Well, we'll start with the, the coaching staff. One, I got to say, good. as far as his supporting cast there, I, I really liked the assistant coaching staff group this year. Um, Lindsay Gottlieb in particular, I thought, did a fantastic job. She was somebody who, unlike John Beeline, really translated well into the NBA. And obviously, she didn't have head coaching responsibilities, but KPJ in particular was somebody that she really clicked with and worked with a lot this season. So I really think she did some good work. I'm glad she's sticking around. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll just we'll talk about about John Beeline here a little bit. Um, I think, mm-hmm. like you said, it was just obvious that it really just never clicked the way we thought it would. Um, it was apparent right away that the offense that he wanted to run right it just it never ended up working, and he ended up scrapping it really, really early on. Um, really, just his lack of experience coaching professionals really shown through, you know, and just really was never able to connect with any of his players from the young guys to the veterans, you know, a lot of veterans that seemed to kind of tune him out and he just, he never really seemed to click with the young guys in the way that it was really, really hoped that he would, you know, and obviously an incident like calling your players thugs doesn't help with that. But um, looking at what we have here with JB Bickerstaff, um, obviously, you know, he's had a lot of interim opportunities to coach in other places but I really, really, I am, I am, I am in with Bickerstaff. I really, really do like him. I believe that he can be this team's coach for the foreseeable future. I think he showed that. Obviously, you know that time immediately after a new coach is hired, you know, there's that little bolt of energy that kind of gets your players to play a little bit harder than usual. So we'll, mm-hmm. we'll see if that carries over. But overall, I think he was just more willing to experiment with lineups. I think. For, for example, we saw the Larry Nance at the three with Kevin Love and either Andre Drummond or Tristan Thompson, and those lineups saw great success. I think he just overall has more experience at this level, which really, really helps, um, is able to really connect. Like I, I, It comes down to that. He was really, really just able to connect with his players in a way that John Beeline wasn't. And I also really like what John Beeline has done, or not John Beeline, but J.B. Bakerstaff has done in the community really throughout this whole, you know, shutdown period has gotten really involved in numerous organizations for, you know, voting and just really anything. He's been involved in food drives. He's really, he's really cemented himself into the, into the community of Cleveland. I really think that's just another reason to 
really like him. And I really just think it shows how good of a leader he is of a young team. Looking at the front office, um, mm-hmm. overall, there are things to like and things to dislike with Kobe Altman, in my opinion. Um, obviously, David Griffin is a fantastic general manager, president of basketball operations, whatever title he has or had. But um, losing him was really a head-scratcher, and I think it was just more of a personal thing to him between him and Dan Gilbert when that happened. Obviously, Dan or not Dan, but Kobe Altman got the job pretty soon after that. He, I, I think, kind of struggled out of the gate with the Kyrie Irving trade. I don't think that that was the worst trade in the world at the time. But looking back, you know, I think he should have known more about that medical situation with Isaiah Thomas than he did. And he was only able to get one extra second round pick, which I don't even think we ended up using. I think we traded that away somewhere else. But really, I, I don't think he did that good of a job with the Kyrie trade, which, again, first yeah. First thing that they had to do, which that wasn't an easy, you know, being a GM and saying, "Hey, this is your first task. You know, please trade Kyrie Irving and maintain, you know, this title contending team with LeBron." Over throughout that first season, again, I think he was just kind of in over his head a little bit. Um, the the trade for Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance was an interesting one. Obviously, I love both of those players and what they brought here in their time in Cleveland, but mm-hmm. I think it just kind of signaled a reluctance to commit either way towards, you know, full rebuild or, you know, really going 100% all in on this year with the last year of LeBron, obviously. Um, And, you know, a DeAndre Jordan trade was on the table at that time. That may or may not have done anything for, you know, Cleveland's title chances. Obviously, they got swept in the finals. Since then, I think with this rebuilding phase, again, he he got off to a little bit of a rough start by saying, you know, we want to remain competitive. We're going to keep Ty We're going to keep the vets. And that lasted about four games until Ty Lue got fired and the vets were shipped out one by one. Yeah. But I think he has done a good job since then. I think, you know, being able to acquire assets, a bunch of second-round picks, and some first-round picks for the veterans that were on the team, um, obviously drafting Colin Sexton. We still have to see how Darius Garland works out. But I think Dylan Windler and Kevin Porter Jr., who we'll both get into a little bit later, were fantastic pickups in the end of last year's draft. And we have a lot of assets moving forward. So definitely, I, I think there is still more work for Kobe Altman to be done. But I think he's shown promise. Okay, that's good. I'm going to say exactly. It wasn't, like you mentioned, his first real test was arguably a hard one. Hey, uh, a potential centerpiece for our franchise, you know, after LeBron wants out. Can you get some good value for us that helps us compete with LeBron, but also build for the future? And, you know, he, like you said, whether he passed that test, I, I tend to look a little more negatively on it in retrospect. I did at the time, just because even loving Isaiah Thomas, I felt like the system was really good for him, more so than LeBron, where LeBron is the system. But um, in general, um, yeah, I'm with you. It, it, he has given at least some hope for the future. Now, I want to ask you more about J.B. Bickerstaff, only because, you know, uh, I wrote for a little bit when he happened to be at the helm in Memphis, and he's one of those guys that kind of, you know, he's been associate head coach three different times, and usually that's kind of where it runs through. You know, we saw him in Memphis for um, an extended stint. What do you think about him in general, not in terms of creativity or or how he's a coach? Is he more of like a player relationship type guy? He seems to be well-liked in general, but just as an actual, okay, we're going to move forward with you and you're someone that can kind of set your roots here and lead this team to the next great iteration of itself. 
Well, obviously, you know, we have to see how this team plays out into the future because we've, we've yet to see him, I think, with a really, really great team if that's what this team becomes. But I think he really is kind of the perfect team, or the, the perfect coach for this young team just because he does have that ability to connect with his players. Um, I think he's had some, some trouble in his past stints with, I believe, um, Memphis and Houston kind of, you know, refusing to play younger players at times. I think he's kind of learned from that, and especially with a team that's as young as his Cavs one, um, he's kind of forced to play these players. So overall, I think, you know, can he be the coach for, you know, the next great Cavs team that comes out of this batch of players? Um, I think as of right now, I don't see a reason as to why he couldn't be. Again, you know, we'll have to see how he does as, you know, this team improves. It could be a Brett Brown situation, whereas this team does improve, you know, we kind of see him struggle a little bit with X's nose and all that stuff. But I think, again, I, I like what I have seen out of him so far. I think the defense was better under him than it did under Beeline. Um, and I, I really liked, like I said earlier, his, his willingness to kind of experiment with the lineups, um, mm-hmm. try some different things. So overall, I think, like I said, I'm, I'm in with, with Bickerstaff right now. I really do think that he is the right coach for this team. And, you know, he's still a young guy, too, so we'll, we'll see yeah. how he can grow and how he can adapt along with these players. So I, I definitely believe that he can be the guy moving forward. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we'll have to see you know, how things work out and how he does as the team improves. But especially for right now, I think he is really the exact coach that this team needs. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm glad they retained him. I'm glad he's getting another shot. You know, Memphis was an interesting situation, and they were going through a transition at the time, you know, with um, Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley and some young guys and kind of figuring out the end of the grit and grind era. So I do think this is more of a shot where he can kind of uh, make the team more in his image. But let's actually talk about the players on this team. Let's kind of get down into where they are. Obviously, we talked about where they stood offensive and defensive rating. They're one of the worst teams in the league on both sides of the ball. Um Inside, obviously, I think it will be offense. Uh, Love was pretty productive, and I think it's been the healthiest he's been in a couple of years. Colin Sexton improved a lot more. He was a much better um, primary scoring option. But it did seem like the Cavs struggled to generate offense as a team. And a lot of it, I don't know if it was beeline. Or, well, most of it was. And then later on, going into Bickerstaff. But they played at a slower, spate, a, a slower pace. And then because of that, at least in my opinion, they were kind of more challenged to score against the set defense. They weren't really taking advantage of uh, transition opportunities. But... That's just my brief synopsis. I want to get yours for sure, having watched a lot more than me. But let's kind of dive into players that will be under contract going into 2020-2021. So we have the bigs and Kevin Love and Larry Nance. And then we have uh, Dante Exum, Chetty Osman, uh, Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, Dylan Windler, Kevin Porter Jr., and Alfonso McKinney. So let's kind of start with the older guys, I guess. And older being relative for Larry Nance, but definitely Kevin Love. You know, at 32 with two years left on his deal, and then Larry Nance, you know, at 28 with two years left on his deal. What do you see from these bigs and how they fit? And I, I guess we can we're gonna talk save a little bit on Andre Drummond because I want to see what you feel about that player option. But let's talk about the guys that are almost certainly, without a doubt, gonna be in Cleveland come starting next season. What, what do you think about those guys? All right, well we can we'll start with Kevin Love here. Um, someone Sounds who is good. set to make 30 million dollars roughly over the next few seasons. <laughs> Woo! Um, you know, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of talk about, you know, him being traded. If you look on Bleacher Report, every single Cavs-related post is, here's how the Cavs can trade Kevin Love. I don't think it's going to happen this offseason. I think he's here to stay for at least this season. Um, despite the bumps that we kind of mentioned earlier with, you know, his, his on-court kind of tantrums and just visible unhappiness, I think he has kind of bought in, you know, near the end of the season. He kind of 
came out and repaired that relationship with Colin Sexton in particular, you know, kind of just coming out in defense of Colin, which I thought was a really very important step for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, during this little mini camp period, we also saw Kevin Love be there for not the entire time, but he did show up and he did do almost the entire, you know, he was there for almost all of the workouts, which again, just shows his willingness to, you know, fulfill leadership role on this team. Um, I think as far as Kevin Love's all-star, all-star days, those are probably behind him. Um, I think any, any chance that we could have seen, you know, him kind of revert back to that Minnesota type player on the floor are long gone by this point. You know, there was hope that maybe after the season that LeBron left that, you know, he could kind of show some of that. And he's pretty much dealt with injuries that entire season. This year, it just, it, it just, it's apparent that he is just not that player anymore. Still does a lot of things well, still a fantastic rebounder, um, very good floor spacer for a big, has a little bit of a post game as well, you know, not what it once was, but has that ability to operate in the low and the mid post and really a pretty good playmaker in that area too, you know, a good passer, somebody who can really just kind of give you a little bit of everything. On defense, obviously, he is a little bit challenged. He's kind of slow-footed and not someone who's really going to bang with those big centers. So he's kind of stuck there in that in-between spot where there's nobody that you really want to throw him on on defense. But um, overall, I would say it seems at this point that he has more value to the Cavs than anybody else uh, just because of that leadership standpoint. I think this is, the, some, this is somebody that the Cavs obviously love. I get it, love, I guess. But um, <laughs> I let it go because I was like, I, I don't know if he meant to do that, but I'm glad you were I, on I the same wavelength. I, I didn't realize it until I said it. But um, Oh, I loved it. I guess, Very punny. I guess, <laughs> yeah, you love it. Ha. Look at us. But um, <laughs> anyway... but anyway um Mm -hmm. yeah obviously looking at the deal that they gave kevin it was it was kind of a clear overpay from the beginning but i think that just shows this organization's you know valuing of of him as both a player and just as an off-court leader for this team Mm -hmm. uh i I don't think that the cavaliers are going to dump him you know just to purely to dump his salary. Um, obviously, we saw throughout this past season that, um, you know, the Cavaliers were open to trading him, but they wanted something of value in return, which they never got. I think that's something that the Cavaliers will be able to find more as his contract goes on and as these years kind of start to fall off. Because, obviously, you know, this isn't somebody that you want to dedicate long-term money to. He's getting older, and he has had his fair share of injuries in the past. But as this deal gets shorter and shorter, um, even if it's not something huge and great, I think that the Cavaliers will be able to get a positive asset out of them at some point. And until we see that happen, I think they're just more than willing to just hold on to them and kind of, again, have them just be a leader on this team. So overall, I would say he'll be with the Cavs probably through this off through this season. We'll see what happens next offseason. Maybe, you know, maybe – he really just wants out, and they can find a deal for him at the trade deadline. But I, I'd say he's here to stay. I agree. I mean, it seems like I was trying to figure out in my brain what team he'd be a potential fit on that I would need him. I know, like, in Love's case, in particular, uh, Portland had been talked about last year and where there was some traction there, whatever hangups were on that. But, like, the more I see it now, while, one, you know, with the way that the market is right now, I can see a contending team maybe being a little more amenable to a deal. I just don't know if Love would be that guy, especially being that he is what he is in terms of, you know, outside shooting, offensive uh, uh, shooting, uh, offensive uh, creation, I guess, but not in, like, a playmaking way and decent rebounding. 
But I don't know what you're getting from there. And, yeah, I guess, I mean, that kind of is what it is. So I'm glad that he's being more, um, you know, taking more of that leadership role for this young team, knowing where they are, kind of being at peace with that. You know, all signs seem to show that. And they're just ready to commit to the process. Yeah. And looking at some other trades, you know, obviously Portland is one that has been mentioned a million times. I, yep. I really don't know if there's a realistic deal there. Looking at some other ones, I mm-hmm. think something as we move forward is something like an Al Horford for Kevin Love swap could be something that is a very realistic possibility as we move forward. Um, obviously, especially with Daryl Morey in, in Philly now, I think he's definitely going to be looking to get rid of Al Horford as soon as possible. Um, obviously, neither of them are on great contracts. Both of them are getting older. But I think Kevin Love's fit next to Joel Embiid is a lot better than Al Horford's. Again, just providing that spacing, uh, having having Embiid behind him to protect the rim when Kevin Love's out guarding the perimeter is going to be really helpful for him. And just, again, that, that, that secondary rebounding and playmaking, I think, would fit in really well with that Philly team. Again, I don't think he's a perfect fit there. I don't think he's really a perfect fit anywhere just because of the contract. But I think that that would be a lot better than Al Horford if the Cavaliers could do something Involving those two and maybe a, a, you know an asset or two coming back to Cleveland. Mm-hmm. That's one that I really like. Um, obviously, there's this stuff with you know Kevin Love for Andrew Wiggins part two. I don't really see the Cavaliers falling for that ever. Um, I don't think that Wiggins is a guy that you know the Cavaliers have any interest in from a culture standpoint or a player standpoint. Purely just because he's another volume scorer that really does nothing else, and he doesn't even really do that that well. Um, and looking at these young guards, you know, and, and Garland and Sexton and KPJ and others who are going to need shots, I just don't see that being a real realistic one. But it is something that's been floated out there. Another one that um, if Utah really wants to go all in this year, mm-hmm. I think that maybe you could see something along the lines of Kevin Love for Mike Conley, maybe. You know, assuming oh, wow. that Conley continues to regress, think about the fact that Again, this would this would be an all-in play for Utah, and I'm not sure they would want to do it. But if yeah. Mike Conley were to continue to regress, the Cavaliers could trade basically Conley for Love. Uh, I think Conley would be just kind of a leadership, you know, veteran as far as what he brings to Cleveland, and he would be an expiring contract. Again, I said earlier that I really don't see them doing a dump, but just something that could be thrown out there um, for Utah. Again, just provides more shooting and more offensive versatility around Donovan Mitchell, assuming Rudy Gobert is still there. That kind of applies the same as Joel Embiid is just having somebody to protect the rim when Kevin loves out on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, there are definitely moves out there for Kevin. Um, we'll, we'll have to see what ends up happening. We'll have to see how he looks next year. You know, we might see a bit of a regression from him as well. So it really just depends. But as of right now, I think he is here to stay, but there are definitely suitors for him out there. He's not gonna, It's not going to be impossible to trade him if they do decide to do so. No, you brought up a few that I hadn't even considered, uh, specifically the one in Utah I think is interesting because you're right. That would kind of help out in their um, – in terms of Utah's kind of hierarchy really kind of ceding full control to Donovan Mitchell to really start creating for that offense while diversifying their front court and giving someone with that offensive firepower alongside like a Joe Wingles and Bogdanovich. Yeah, that would be interesting. I guess you're right. Like that is something to look at that I had not considered. So, yeah, that's something to keep an eye on. And uh, as far as Larry Nance, uh, in general, I feel like he, what, played some of the three this year? Like, he was interesting. Got more of that three-ball shot that he had flashed, you know, in L.A. and then later on in, in a couple of years in Cleveland. But I think he's really starting to adopt that. Yeah, I think Larry Nance is, is starting to become, and I think he's gotten a little bit more recognition as of late. 
but really starting to become one of the more underrated players in the league. Um, again, somebody who's set to make roughly $10 million over the next two seasons. He is on a deal that is declining in value, so that, again, just increases his value that much because he's going to be making less and less as time goes on. He's really He was just the Cavs' Swiss Army knife this season. So somebody that just brought a little bit of everything. Um, I would not hesitate to say that he was their best defender, this past season, he was capable of guarding, you know, three through five, and obviously we saw him play the three, like you said. Um, the, he showed the ability to shoot the three a little bit. Um, I think he shot 34% overall, which is really the ability to shoot the three for him is really going to be a very important development for him as he gets older. You know, I mean, he's entering his late 20s here. Um, you know, his, his athleticism may be starting to decline a little bit. You know, that's obviously been kind of the the thing with Larry Nance is you know having that outstanding athleticism. I think having something like a three ball really, really will help him as that starts to decline a little bit. Um, another guy kind of along the lines of Kevin, who really is an underrated playmaker as well. Again, you know, somebody who can have the ball in the mid post and make the right read with it, which is a guy that, again, I think is essential to have alongside a bunch of shoot first guards like Cleveland has. Um, I think the, that, that lineup with the three, again, we only saw it in limited we only saw it a limited amount of time last season, but it is something that will be coming back that the Cavaliers will at least experiment again with this season to see if it continues to work. So overall, I guess another thing I could say about him is just the fact that obviously Larry Nance Sr. played in Cleveland. He has his jersey up in the rafters. Larry Nance Jr. is now wearing that number, number 22. Really just somebody who loves Cleveland and wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And I think especially in a market like Cleveland where that's not always the case, that is really, really, really important. Sorry, I was going to say, I see what you mean, exactly, especially with someone where, like you said, it's Cleveland, which back in the time, even when LeBron was there, it was hard to kind of get guys to go, you know, hey, aside from veteran guys who had already seen their better days, kind of go over there. So you're right, someone who's committed to that, obviously Larry Nance having family ties with his father being over there, you know, for a couple of years back in their last, well, not their last Haiti, that'd be LeBron, but, you know, in the late 80s to the early to mid 90s. So yeah. that that definitely is something that's interesting. Um. But, yeah, those two, I mean, you're right. Those guys are, are going to be established even if they're in, in Nance's case, the prime of his career. I, would, I, would, I wouldn't I would, call Love post-prime yet, but, I mean, I wouldn't say he's on the, the client. It's weird. He's like, what, the back half of his prime? Would that make any sense? Would that work? I, I would say he's kind of at the very beginning of his decline, if that makes sense. You know, he's still obviously a very good player, but I think his production is at that point where, like I said, his all-star days are kind of behind him, and he's, he's starting to decline in production. But I, I would say you could still say he's at the tail end of his prime if you wanted to. Yeah, I feel you. I mean, I guess, yeah. It's been hard for me to ascertain only because of the team. And so I'm sitting there going, okay, is there a lack of effort that's coming into play here as well? A lack of energy that's bringing itself about? You know what I mean? Like, okay, you just yeah. simply can't do it or, eh, I don't feel like it. And so I guess I that, didn't know that, where that, that was. Yeah, and that could very well play into it as well, obviously. Like I said, I think near the end of the season, bringing bigger staff in and just realizing, hey, I need to stop acting like a baby. He did kind of buy in a little bit more at the beginning of the season, especially, you know, with the line. There were some moments with Kevin Love where it's not hard to see that he wasn't giving 100% on the floor. But um, especially if he wants to get traded, he's going to have to show that he's still worth trading for. So mm -hmm. I think moving forward, we will see him give a little bit more effort, even if it's not at that 100% level that he would give with a contending team. But that is a good point to make as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. And then 
I want to go from those guys. I'm kind of in a reverse order in terms of guys who I think, you know, those guys are going to be part of the team, if not part of the Cavs' long-term future. These guys I'm on the fence with. We can kind of go one at a time, but I want to just list them all out. Um, uh, Dante Exum, um, Chetty Osmond, and Alfonso McKinney, who are both, you know, still in here uh, for several years. So Dante, this is last year on his deal. Um, Chetty Osmond is three. Uh, He just had an extension, if I remember. And then Alfonso McKinney is two. Um... But what do you think about these guys in whichever order you want to go at uh, between the three of them? Because all I really know of the three is Chetty Osman, who I think is, eh, he's okay. But, like, again, maybe I don't know enough about the Cavs to know where he stands in their future. But, like, I don't think he's, like, let's just say entrenched as they're starting small forward in the, for the next, like, four or five years. Yeah, well, we can start with Chetty Osman, um, someone mm-hmm. who is set to make roughly $8 million over the next few years. Again, another person like Larry Nance who has a contract that is declining in value. And the last year of his contract is also non-guaranteed. So the Cavaliers do have some flexibility there. I'll, I'll say this. As nice as a person as Jetty is and as hard as he does play, he is not the long-term answer at small forward position for the Cavs. Um, <laughs> somebody who, you know, especially early on in that last LeBron year, was kind of someone who emerged as a fan favorite just as someone, you know, the, the young European kid who, Kind of looked clueless out there at times, but really played hard. Um, he's shown promise, you know, moving you know into that second season where he kind of moved into that starting role. But I would say, really was kind of a disappointment this past season. Um, again, showed promise as a shooter. He shot 38% from three, but um, most of those shots were, you know, more of the feet set, catch and shoot type. He's not someone who gives you a lot of versatility. He's not going to be shooting off the dribble. Really not going to be shooting off movement. He's best you know, with a stationary corner three, that's, and again, he did shoot 38%, and that's obviously valuable, but it's not like that's going to be a massive part of his game. Um, he's not really exactly the slasher that some may have hoped either. Um, he's really kind of limited to straight line drives. You know, he doesn't really have a whole lot of moves to get to the rim other than that. Um, you know, a good cutter, someone who overall can can do that and can get some easy buckets off of that. Looking at the other end of the floor, he was a horrid defender this season. He was among the worst in the NBA and one of the biggest reasons <laughs> that the Cavaliers' defense was so bad. Um, really just looked completely lost on that end of the floor. Um, he's not the best athlete. You know, he's not the worst in the world. But And he's only 25, and he, he has time to figure that end out a little bit. But he is mm-hmm. – I mean, that's going to have to happen here before too long. You know, he's – He's been in the league a few years now, and he, he looks really just kind of clueless on that end of the floor sometimes. So I, I see him probably as more of a 10 to 15-minute-per-game guy on a good team, not the high 20s starter that he is right now. Um, and, again, that's not a knock on Jetty as a person at all because I think he is, you know, kind of just a goofy guy and yeah. it seems like a really good guy. I think, you know, he gets, especially among the Cavs, you know, we'll say, you know, Cavs Twitter sometimes can get a little bit more hate than he deserves, mm. you know, just, but overall he is, he's not the answer for the Cavs as far as, you know, a starting wing. He's somebody who does have value as a shooter and cutter, but he's going to probably be limited to that. And for that, I'd say he's probably more of a middle to back of rotation type of player. Okay. Yeah. I, I definitely isn't someone that you look at and you go, okay, you know what? I wouldn't even see as like someone that like, is a connective tissue at the front court. Like he's someone in, in limited roles with energy, like you said, someone who can shoot a little bit, shoot a little bit, pass like a little bit and everything. But like not someone I didn't like him on ball as like 
any type of creator. And like you said, defensively, I mean, small forwards lit him up. <laughs> like, yeah. like come in, you know, walk on the court, you got 25 off the top. Whatever else after that, with what a little resistance he gives, you can work on. That's another thing, as you mentioned, playmaking. That's something that I kind of was thinking we might see from him, and we really just didn't. You know, there was hope that maybe, and I'm not saying that Jedi Osmond was ever going to become Andre Iguodala, but there was mm-hmm. kind of a hope that maybe he could get to that kind of realm of player as far as player type. And mm-hmm. someone who had a big body who could defend and had some playmaking chops as well. I think he kind of showed flashes of that in the second season. But again, you know, this past year, and maybe again, maybe that was just, you know, him being screwed up by D-line, but really just regressed in that area as well. So again, he's only 25 years old and there's still time to work out some kinks in his game. But as of right now, he is not a he, – he's not the answer for anything in Cleveland. Yeah, you're not looking at him as, as any type of solution of that case. I definitely get that. And then moving on to uh, uh, arrival in Dante Exum, uh, I mean, I barely remember him in Cleveland. So what do you what do you remember? I mean, it, as far as him as a player, what do you think about him? I know him from Utah just as a general player, but, again, I'm not sure of his fit on this team long term. Sure, well – Obviously, we acquired him from the Jazz for Jordan Clarkson. We also got a couple seconds back in that deal. Um, he's a quality rotational guard when healthy, which is that, – that, that right there is a big if. If he is healthy, he can be a contributor, and he was a contributor. Um, he is – overall, he's a below-average shooter, um, not going to be a serious threat from outside. I think he shot 35%, but someone, again, who really just – the forum looks a little bit clunky and he's limited completely to catch and shoots. You know, he's not going to be someone who's creating his own shot outside of the paint. He is, he does have some ability to drive to the rim and finish down there. Again, you, you get worried every time he does drive just because of the injury problems, but um, not exactly a natural playmaker either, which is not exactly what you want from a point guard. But I think he is someone who, especially on this Cleveland team does have a role just because he, well, well, he has always been labeled more as a point guard. I do believe that he has some ability to play off ball as well as kind of a secondary or third playmaker. Um, and I really like what he brings to the defensive end of the floor, which is especially, again, like we've been talking about, a, a dire need for this Cleveland team. I believe that he's someone who can guard one, two, three, one, one through three. I guess the two is involved in that as well. Mm-hmm. But, um, and that's that's where I think he really brings value to this Cavs team is just on that defensive end. Again, he's he's a little bit limited as a player. Obviously, we never know what he would have become without all of these injuries. And he suffered his fair share of injuries here in Cleveland as well. But I, I don't remember the exact game. I don't remember the exact stats. But he did have a game where he went off with the Cavs. He scored in the high 20s. That was a really fun game to watch from him. Mm-hmm. So you know, there is still flashes of that offensive creation ability there. Again, we're kind of running out of time with him. This is the last year on his deal. He's on a $9.6 million expiring. But um, I think if he's somebody who can, at any point in his career, prove that he can stay healthy, he does have a spot in this league. It's just, again, one of those – a quality rotational guard who can, you know, bring defense and space the floor well enough to stay on the floor. I feel on that. Just another guy, like a, like a third guard, change of pace type player you see. Which, I mean, he's kind of seemed to have sold in that role – from Utah just in general. I mean, he's had differing expectations depending on the team, but I think long-term for its career, that's kind of where Exum is going to be. Would you agree? I would agree with that, yeah. And again, yeah. that's still a valuable player if he can stay healthy. But Oh, yeah. No, yeah, for overall, sure. That's... Overall, I think, yeah, he's, he's not much more than that. Yeah, I mean, it's in a similar boat kind of to Chetty, where it's like, uh, 
you know, 25. So, you know, kind of figure out where you are. But, like, as currently constructed, are you going to be, like, a, a long-term piece to somewhere? No, but, like, going to be a very serviceable uh, addition to a roster that can perform well in your role if healthy? Yes. So I'm definitely with you on that. And then last, um, at least for these kind of transitional kind of guys, Alfonso McKinney, uh, Raptors forward, uh, Warriors castaway, found a home in Cleveland. Uh, <laughs> or did he kind of what do you feel about Mr. McKinney? Yeah, I'd say that Alfonso found a home in Cleveland here. Obviously, he signed, I think, a four-year deal. He still has three more seasons all on the non-guaranteed minimum. Um, just kind of, you know, he, he is what he is at this point. I think, what is he, 28? Yeah. Um, somebody who is, is, is probably capped out as a player, but again, somebody who provides value, especially on this Cavs team, is just not only as a veteran leadership guy, he is a quality end of bench wing, you know, kind of somebody who is enters the rotation if, you know, someone is resting or if there are injuries. He's somebody that, you know, you don't have any problem with. Um, capable of playing the three or the four. A little bit thin to play the four, but is capable of playing there. Not really a shooter, but um, another, another guy who's a good cutter and who can finish around the rim well. Someone who also brings defensive versatility to this team, which, again... I think the offensive end of the floor, you know, limits him from getting too much time, but does bring value on the defensive end is switchable. Again, just really just a, a good injury insurance guy who plays a position of need on the wing for this team. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, even with the Cavs, he was in and out of the rotation. So that kind of says that about him. Um, yeah, with Golden State, you know, I think there was some hope that he could really become like a, a, a tier above what he is now. Obviously, that never really happened. But I think he's found his home here in Cleveland, and like I said, he's he's here for the next three seasons on a non-guaranteed contract. So if the Cavaliers decide to cut the cord with him at any point in time, they are able to. Yeah. But I, I really liked that signing at the time just because, again, he's a quality player, but if they decide to move on from him, which they very well might, they have the complete ability to do so. Yeah, without a little uh, negative effect to themselves, basically. So yeah, that's good. Yeah. Low, low, low risk, uh, low, low risk, uh, decent reward in terms of a player like that for McKinney. So I get yeah. you. Um, but yeah, let's kind of go down to what I consider the core pieces. What you, when you consider the future of this Cavs team. Uh, and again, we'll go one at a time. So let's just start with uh, Darius Garland. What, what did you see in this young guard? Um, I didn't like. I mean, I liked where he was selected, just given how how weird it was you know for his college i think he only played five games um it was kind of hampered coming into cleveland i feel like even after we saw him play this year we really don't know a lot about him like we know about him and like what he can kind of improve on but like there's still some potential there like it, it was weird i mean what 12 points on 40 percent shooting uh just under two rebounds and just under four assists a night and it, it, i mean He's a rookie, you know, rookie guards in general, point guards in specific, uh, is a very kind of hard job to get a handle on. So it's not like you could expect him to come, you know, roaring fire out the gate. But what did you see from Darius Garland as far as what the expectation was coming in, again, coming fifth overall from Cleveland and what ended up kind of uh, working itself out? Well, it was was a rough rookie season for Darius. Um, I'm not really exactly sure what to make of it right now. I don't think there's really a way to be sure. Yeah, um, like I said, he's coming off he's coming off that knee injury that he suffered in college. Um and he did admit that he never really felt like himself throughout the season. You know, he he said that, you know, he has gotten healthy hundred percent over this extended off season and you know, reports again coming from this mini camp bubble was that he was a very, very impressive player and somebody who was 
it, obviously, you know, we don't know exactly what happened. All we've seen is highlights from the mini camp bubble. But as far as, you know, what people were saying from that bubble is that he really looks like a different player. Um, he said to be looking shiftier, which really could completely unlock his game. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But you said, yeah, like you said, uh-huh. he, he did kind of struggle with percentages from the floor, even as a shoot from deep. He did only shoot 36% from three. But at the same time, you have to kind of look at what he was attempting. He did attempt some difficult shots, you know, some step backs, some really, really deep threes. And yeah. he, showed the, like, he showed the ability to make those. Again, he didn't shoot them at a super high percentage. But I think that really does show some promise. You know, as somebody who can be a, a real threat from anywhere on, on, you know, inside half court. I mean, he has potential, I think. And I'm not saying he's going to get there, but I think he has potential to kind of get that Dame Willard range where he can shoot it from pretty much anywhere on the floor. He showed flashes of that this season. Now, as far as can mm-hmm. he get the rest of his game to where Dame is, I do not <laughs> think so. Um, he showed some promise as a playmaker this year. Um, I think he showed more than what Colin showed when he came into the NBA, which isn't saying a lot. I think he's always <laughs> going to be more of a score-first player. But um, I, he, he showed something as a playmaker this year. I think the biggest thing that was holding Darius back, even more so than his defense, which, again, we'll get into a minute, in a minute, was his inability to, to get into the lane and get to the rim and really just, just finish around the rim. Obviously, lacked explosiveness. Um, whenever he did kind of try to attack the rim, it usually ended in just a little bit of a pull-up mid-ranger or a floater. He averaged one free throw attempt per game this season. He just he, he really he needs to get to the line more. He needs to get more aggressive going to the rim. And obviously, again, he's not the most explosive player in the world. He's not the strongest player in the world. But I think, you know, the reports of him being shiftier could really, really help him. And I think that's the biggest thing for him because he's a good free throw shooter. He just never got to the line. Um, yeah. So showing that ability to get into the lane, you know, using that shiftiness to get around guys, I think that is going to be the biggest step for him as a player. And I think that there's a real chance that we could see that this year. Again, he wasn't totally healthy and he never really felt totally comfortable. At least that's what reports have said on the floor last season. So mm. looking at that, I think that's, you know, the next step to take on the offensive end of the floor. As, as far as the defensive end, again, he's, he's small and he's not that strong. He's never going to be a good defender. He's probably going to be a bad defender throughout his career. He's just somebody that you got to hope enough of his offensive game clicks to where, you know, he can he can be a net positive on the floor. And, I, again, I think coming off a weird season like this, I think there's still plenty of time for him to get those other aspects of his game together. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, you saw – I was more impressed with maybe the deep shooting, at least the confidence in which he went into those shots. But you're right, it was a lot to look forward to perhaps, if not necessarily a lot to take – away from this because you have certain caveats you're going in like we already mentioned the rough rookie season coming off the injury not being fully healthy a lot to kind of take in and, and process with him but moving to someone who you know kind of improved he had a, a interesting rookie season in my opinion uh disappointing if you ask me even for a guard kind of improved in certain aspects no definitely improved in certain aspects if not in a in a way that i wanted him to and that was colin sexton um last year i mean the year before Basically, uh, 16 points, three assists, uh, 43% from the field, 40% from three, took just over three and a half threes a night. Uh, this year, uh, you know, obviously truncated season, 65 games, but 
20 points, three assists, uh, three rebounds, 47% from the field, and then a slight dip in three-point percentage, but an uptick in attempts. So it almost felt the same, except that he scored a lot better. He looked a lot more consistent. His three-point shot or his three-point stroke was a lot more consistent. And his attempts from mid-range to three dropped immensely. He had shot 252 shots between 16 feet and the three-point line, and that went down to just 74. Again, this is comparing a, a decrease of about 20 games going from 82 to 65, but still, that's right. that's, that's pretty good. Uh, at the same time, I still see very little awareness in terms of a uh, traditional kind of guard. Even if we don't call him a point guard, he's more of a combo guard. He's not someone who really sets up his, his teammates at all, in my opinion. And you're right about that. I will say, as far as just figuring out how to score the ball, in that aspect of his game, he had a breakout year this season. Um, uh-huh. Again, put up put up basically 21 points a game on very good efficiency. Again, slight you know slight knock on his percentage, but an uptake in a, in, a, in, a, in attempts. So I, I don't think that's anything to worry about. I think you know there were real questions about his shot coming in you know to that draft. Mm-hmm. And coming into his rookie season, those are basic. Those are basically been erased. I expect him to be somebody who shoots in that high thirties, low forties throughout the rest of his career. I really believe that the shot is legit. Again, we saw him take more this year. We saw a more, you know, we saw different attempts. You know, it wasn't just catch and shoot. It wasn't just you know, off movement, off screens. We saw a lot of pull ups from him this year. So that's something that I'm really looking at forward to and I think that that part of this game again is, is really here to stay um, playmaking obviously leaves a lot to be desired still and he's never going to be somebody again which who, who is a, a primary ball or not primary ball hander but primary playmaker on the floor which is a bit of a concern because he is so small and he also lacks those defensive instincts but overall also we talk about you know his defensive instincts a long way to go on that end as well but again, reports from this bubble and from this offseason are that he has bulked up significantly. Like, reports coming from this minicamp bubble are saying mm-hmm. that he has, like, Eric Bledsoe's shoulders. Oh, get out of here. Like, like I, and if you look at pictures of him, I, like, I don't know if he's at that Bledsoe level, but he, yeah. he is looking like he, like, reports said that he hulked up. Like, he did. Like, he really looks like a completely different player. And again, you talk about just that awareness of getting his teammates involved. That kind of translates to the defensive end as well about, you know, just awareness of where to be on the floor. But I think just that added bulk and that added strength should really help him with things like, you know, fighting through screens, which is something that he's had a big problem with, and just keeping people in front of him. So overall, I really expect Colin to have a big third year. Someone who has an unbelievable work ethic to just, always going to keep working, always going to keep getting better, always going to keep trying to work on his game in any way that he can. You know, again, there, there are kind of just feel concerns, but he is a legit scorer. Um, he's going to be putting up 20-plus for probably years to come as long as he maintains the role that he has. I, I think mm-hmm. there are some. There have been questions in the past about would he be better suited as a sixth man or, a, you know, a starter on this team, I think that there's no doubt that he's going to be a starter for at least, again, the foreseeable future. Um, I think that scoring ability is just it, – it's its just too much to – I don't know if you can afford taking that out of the starting lineup, quite frankly. And, again, I don't ever expect him to be a good defender, per se, but I think that there will be some significant strides on that end. And, again, 
he is so young as well. You know, all these guys. When when you're pairing up somebody like Darius Garland and Colin Sexton, the Sexland backcourt, um, that, that's not a good situation for a young guard because who's going to take on the tougher assignment, you know? In this case, yeah. it's probably going to be Sexton. They're both small guards who are defensively challenged. It's not like you can hide these guys. It's not like you can really teach them things slowly. You're just throwing them into the fire. So I think, and that's not to really make excuses for him on that end, but I really do think that, I don't know if I'll say that we'll see a leap from Colin defensively, but I do expect him to get better as time goes on on that end. And I think we could see a, a, a small leap from him on that end of the floor this season. It would be nice. It would be welcome, especially if he's getting his frame to that of Eric Bledsoe, who's one of the better defensive guards, you know, in the league. And a lot of that, of course, isn't just frame. It's a lot of his defensive awareness and experience that goes into making Bledsoe who he is and, you know, what could make sex in that, you know, with, with continued development and improvement. But, I mean, me remaking his frame is a positive step in the right direction. However, I do have a problem here. Again, I know I'm more pessimistic on sex than it appears than you. Looking at it right now, like, I definitely see him, especially on this team where they are in developing. He's going to be a starter moving forward for certain. But in general, I'm really concerned, uh, uh, really concerned with that playmaking ability or lack thereof. You know, he averages three assists per game as a team starting point guard and basically the primary ball handler. Now, you know, it's different because, again, you know, they have to make shots. But looking at it, as far as creating more shots, not only did Aris Garland do that and, and, and have uh, more assists, but... Garland only played 139 minutes of college and comes in with a lot better floor vision. And that's not even the real issue for me. This is actually from Arkansas on Cavs Nation about the usage rate, which I didn't even realize that Sexton had a 26% usage rate while Garland finished with just 20, but still was able to distribute the ball better. And I think that Sexton is going to be a, 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 a maybe a more of a scoring guard, a scoring guard than a playmaking guard. But if that's the case, then I think, he has a career trajectory almost similar to Jordan Clarkson, who ironically played with the Cavs and, you know, is with the Jazz now, where he started with the Lakers as a point guard, kind of transitioned with a guy who was, you know, a, a off the bat, like a microwave kind of scorer. And then that lends itself to either playing as a starter or coming off the bench and bringing that offense, but knowing that, hey, no matter what, this is what I'm going to do. And therefore, whether it, it fills the need as a starter or fills the need as coming off the bench, that's who I am. Is, is that kind of where you see Sexton? Do you think he kind of pro- can improve on that and become more of a, a different archetype player? Because after this year, I definitely see a lot of Jordan Clarkson in him, especially if he can improve on his scoring, but remains about the same in his playmaking. I think that obviously the playmaking is a, a very real concern. It's probably the biggest concern for him. I think... Yeah. The biggest thing for Colin that will determine what his role is is what improvements does he make on the defensive end. Because, again, I, I think the playmaking kind of is what it is with Colin. I, I don't you – know, again, somebody – as you are in the league longer, that's just something that kind of you naturally progress with. But um, I, I don't expect him to ever get at, you know, the level of a real point guard. I think as far as the offensive end of the floor, I think Colin is – or, or, or um, what was I going to say? Clarkson – is a good comparison. I think he does have a little bit more, you know, to the rim explosiveness than Clarkson does. Clarkson is more of just, you know, jitter shiftiness, you know, to kind of get around guys and you know, has a little bit more creativity to work on operate outside of the three point arc as well. Again, mm-hmm. I noticed that Colin is a good three point shooter, but I just think Clarkson has a little bit more versatility out there. But again, I think the difference will be is 
how does he progress on the defensive end of the floor? Because, you know, a lot of the six-man talk has been because he is kind of almost like Lou Williams, just a smaller guard who gets killed on the defensive end, who, you know, where do you really, you know, how, how do you really put him in that starting lineup? So I think it'll just be, can he hold his own on that end of the floor? Because, again, if you're not going to be starting him at the point guard because of his playmaking limitations, that means you have to play him with another primary playmaker, which it can you know lead to complications because of a small backcourt. We obviously see that with Garland and Sexton, two very small guards. So I think it'll completely depend on can he make strides as a defender. Okay. And that being more of the, the, the bigger determinator of where he uh, falls ultimately. Yeah, I, I would say so, whether, you know, he's more destined for a starting or bench role. And I, I think, think uh-huh. despite where, you know, starter or bench, he's still going to be a very impactful player just because of that offensive punch. But I think that other end of the floor will, will determine his role more so going forward. I get you on that. And I, it remains to be seen. I'm, I'm hoping for the best. I like Sexton ever since, you know, he had that crazy kind of run in college. I think they were playing like three on five or something. Three on five, um, yeah. There you go. And then he had, you know, the G League kind of getting the defensive state. Like, I like his spirit, his personality, just not I, – I don't know how that brings itself about as a player. And I guess that's what I'm more pessimistic yeah. about. But I'm, a, I, I'm rooting for these guys. In fact, between Garland, Sexton, and the guy we're about to talk about next, it's probably why I'm going to watch a lot more Cavs games than, you know, just expected, even though I love just watching basketball. But just in general, I have a, a particular focus on them. And the last piece that we're going to talk about, actually, ironically, was the last piece in the first round, the 30th pick in last year's draft, the final piece of what could be, you know, Cleveland's kind of start to the rebuild, although, I mean, I really don't think it is. But, like, Kevin Porter Jr., (laughs) Um, what did you see from this young guy who I think it's clear to see was one of the bright spots of the season for the Cavs, uh, especially for someone being a wild card? Absolutely one of the bright spots for this this season. Um, Possibly the Cavs' most exciting player last year. Somebody who I think, of, of all the young guys even, I think this is the guy that the front office is the highest on as far as what his potential is. Um, this season, he's probably going to fill more of that six-man role. Um, but you can expect to see him, really. I mean, obviously, he's more of a natural two-guard. He's listed at 6'4". He is not 6'4". He is probably more in that 6'7 range. I don't know why. It, one, one quick thing. Mm-hmm. I remember they, they kind of they, they, they changed the way that they measured players' heights this year and said that they were more accurate. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly disagree because Kevin I Porter agree with Jr. you. Just Kevin Porter Jr. is not six four. Um, no. Another one is Shaquille Harrison of the Chicago Bulls, a little bit unrelated, is not six seven. So I don't know. I don't know who said who made the claim that you know this was going to be a more accurate height measuring system, but it's not. It's Kevin not. Porter Jr. is yeah. Kevin Porter Jr. is not six four. He is more in that six 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 seven range. So, you know, that size, again, is enough of – that's just another reason to kind of be high on him. But um, his playmaking was one of his really his biggest surprises last year. And um, it was – I mean, it's part of the reason his potential is so high because I'm not sure if he's ever going to be someone who is – so you're talking about maybe a championship contender, contending team, you know, Kevin Porter Jr. is in his prime. I don't know if he's ever going to be a true number one option on – you know, as far as a scorer. But I think, you know, his defensive potential and that playmaking is where he really becomes interesting because, like I was saying earlier, more of a natural two kind of can play the three a little bit. But what we didn't see a lot last year that I expect us to see a lot more of this year is Kevin Mm -hmm. Porter Jr. at the point guard. Um, 
I think his fit with Colin or Darius is kind of interesting. We'll talk about Colin in particular. You want to talk about, you know, someone who can kind of take on that primary playmaking role. Yeah. I think that a Kevin Porter-Colin Sexton backcourt is something that could become really interesting as time goes on, just mm-hmm. because I think you get that playmaking from from Kevin Porter. And I think if you if you pair him with a big guy like um, Love or Larry Nance, who can also provide a little bit of that ball movement, that is something that could be really interesting moving forward. Um, again, similar to Colin Sexton, this seems to be kind of a trend with a lot of Cavaliers, is the shot is much less of a concern now than it was when he came out of college. Um, showed some ability to hit threes, um, showed some ability to get to pull-ups in that middle mid-range elbow area. And, you know, the, his shot still looks a little bit weird. It still kind of had a, a little bit of a hitch, but it was yeah. going in. And reports, again, from this minicamp bubble are that he has moved off that shot a little bit. So, again, we, we are yet to see everything there. But, um, again, we talked about his size. He is still a little bit thin, but I expect him to fill out his frame. I expect him to be a good defender. Again, he's not going to be someone who's locked down, but he has all the tools. And I think he showed some instincts this season as well to be a solid defender. You know, kind of just one of those average to above average guys, which Cleveland should be celebrating over because he's one of the very few on this team. Um, So overall, yeah, um, super duper excited to see what he has coming. Um, I expect him to be, again, in just kind of that six-man role this season as kind of a do-it-all, one-through-three guy. I expect to see him playing point guard. I expect to see him in some lineups with Sexton and Garland. So really just a very versatile wing who does a little bit of everything and really, really excited to see what he has next season. Yeah, I think he's someone that clearly, you heard it from his teammates, you saw it present itself in games. Like, he, uh, he he has, I don't want to say he has that it, but he just turned 20, and he's had some moments. You know, he's 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 been okay. His first start, uh, he had scored 18 in, in, in New York. Uh, he had a cool little duel with, with the Rockets, James Harden, uh, where he finished with a then-career-best 24 uh, points. He had a, a big game against the Heat in February, where he sparked a huge comeback and put up mm-hmm. uh, 30 points as, the, you know, the Cavs came back from that huge deficit, like... Yeah. He looks, you know, pretty good. Maybe the numbers are pretty average right now. And, I I mean, some of that is to be expected. What, it was like 10 points a game? Yeah, 40%, 44% from the field, 33% from three, three rebounds, two assists a night. But, like, that's across 50 games. And if he's just building, adding more muscle to his frame, like you said, more like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, than that 6'4", like, they might have someone looking around that could be their guy. Yeah. And by the way, just real quick on acquiring Kevin Porter Jr., you want to talk about the job that Kobe Altman has done with this rebuild? Um, Just from those veterans that kind of lingered over from that LeBron team, kept scooping up first, or not first round, but second round picks, Mm -hmm. ended up, I think that that pick was originally the Bucks. It went to Detroit in the Tony Snell trade, but then the Cavs ended up using those second rounders that they collected from, you know, random veterans and spent four of them on this KPJ pick. So, again, oh, wow. just another example of a really good move from Kobe Altman. Yeah, I didn't even realize that. You're right. All that had a payoff, and there you go. It presents itself in a piece that could potentially work. So I guess you're right. It gives more 
uh, credence to maybe not just judging off the first initial moves and seeing how some of them shake out. I used to do that. Uh, then I followed David Kahn. But anyway, let's keep uh, <laughs> moving on here. We're, we're gonna, we talked about the guys who are on contract. So let's talk about the guys who could potentially be free agents. And, I mean, I'm kind of group them all together. We'll talk one at a time. I'm sure we'll give more discussion to one. But we have Andre Drummond with the player option of 28 mil. We have Tristan Thompson, Matthew Delvadova, and Ante Zizic were unrestricted. But Ante Zizic, I think, went back overseas. So I think that's a wrap for him in Cleveland. So I guess we're looking at Drummond, Thompson, and Del Vadova. Um, I You can kind of tackle whichever one you want. Uh, I guess the elephant in the room is Drummond, who I think will probably pick up that option, uh, just given the market. But, like, what do you think about him coming over initially, your initial thoughts on how he performed, and what you think he might be as far as a fit either moving forward or just playing out the string for this next year? Well, uh, first off, I just want to say real quick um, – Shout out to Dylan Windler and um, Dean Wade and Jordan Bell, who we didn't get to Oh, no! But, uh, I, I love all them. of them. Oh, I no! Love I love all miss- just the same. <laughs> I love them. I, I, I can't do a Cavs podcast and talk about the play. I, I just I had to at least mention them. No, listen, so, listen. Um, let's, quick, let's, let's take a quick – we can take a tea, a quick timeout, and talk about them. Because I put Dylan Windler on my list. I'm looking at it, and I totally – Total disrespect. I looked and went right past it. Let's talk about those guys real quick. I want to be that. We want to talk about all of them, and I know you follow it. So, like, about those three, um, especially Windler, who I put up there, I, I got to get massive apologies to Dean Wade. I didn't even list him. But, like, what about those last three young guys? All right. Well, well we can we can kind of just go quick on these guys. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, Windler finally coming back. You know, he's going to be a 24-year-old rookie, which is kind of unusual. But um, mm-hmm. Cavs are very, very high on him. He is an elite shooter. Um, someone who really overall has a pretty complete offensive game, um, you know, has the ability to get his own shot off the bounce. We saw a little bit of that in summer league when he did play. Um, a good rebounder too for his position as a small forward. Um, will have value crashing the boards, and really just gives the young guards a legit option to pass to on the wing. And um, again, I'm interested to see how Biggerstaff uses him off ball because this is going to be a real, real threat for Biggerstaff to use. I think that's going to be a good opportunity for him to show off. You know his ability to really, you know, cook up some schemes with a high-level shooter. So um, I think mm-hmm. he could get mixed for a starting spot this year um, if he ends up playing well. And I think, you know, we'll see what happens with Jetty. But I think this is someone who could kind of fight Jetty for that starting spot. So we'll move on from that. Um, okay. I even see. Real quick. Okay. Um, Got to love Dean Wade. Uh, another guy who in that same boat as Bikini as um, a non-guaranteed minimum guy for the next few seasons. Uh, potential rotational stretch for, still has a long way to go. But um, had good shooting numbers in the G League. He shot from, I think, high 30s, low 40s, I don't remember exactly. But a good rebounder, too. The the defensive end is really where there are serious concerns about him. Um, he's too slow to guard fours, too small to guard fives. Kind of that same... He, when I when I look at Dean Wade, I do see a lot of Kevin Love in him, and obviously he's not, you know, the player that Kevin Love is, and he never will be. But I think that's the kind of player that he should kind of try to mold his game after. Um, okay. I think for him, just building confidence and also staying healthy because he has dealt with a few little injuries here and there are the keys for him. And you know, again, I don't know if he's ever going to be a starter. He, he's never really going to be a starter, but someone who could be a rotational stretch for. Gotcha. And, okay. We'll end here with Jordan Bell, who's at a non-guaranteed minimum for this season. Um, I, I don't even really expect Jet Bell to make the team, quite honestly. Potential end-of-the-bench small ball center, um, it, you know, especially if, I, if Andre Drummond opts in. I just don't really know if he has a role on this team. Um, he said he wanted to play with some dogs when he came here, so apparently he's high on this core. Okay. Um, 
I'm not so high on him. Um, I, I don't know if he's ever going to get that shot that I think is important for an undersized five. But um, overall, someone who could be a guy, could not be a guy, we'll just have to see. But um, any thoughts before we move on to, to Drummond here? You. Well, no, I'm, I'm I'm glad you you gave those guys some some time, especially in Windler and Wade, who potentially could have roles, you know, in addition to their relative youth on this team. But as far as Jordan Bell, for shame, I remember when he had that game with the you know with the Warriors against uh, Chicago, and he was flashing his money sign for him being you know traded yeah. for draft pick, and it's like, hey, um, or traded for cash, and I'm like, maybe you did that a little too soon. You know what I mean? Maybe you're a little you're a little hopped off 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 the Draymond Green height because he's bounced around. I'm just gonna get full disclosure. I'm embarrassed, for, you know, ladies and gentlemen, NBA today. But I even remember that he was on the Cavs. Um, last in my brain, he was uh, in Minnesota, so I must have missed the 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 midseason moves that brought him there. But yeah, he I, just I feel he's gonna bounce around. Yeah, um, he was actually he was part of that. Um, I think he was what part of one of the trades. He was actually in Houston first. And um, so I think, yeah, he was with Minnesota. Then he was traded from Houston. Oh. And then he was traded from Houston to Memphis. He ended up playing a few games for Memphis before he was weighed by them. And then during that little transaction window before the bubble, that's when they gave deals to both Ian Wade and Jordan Bell. Wow. Well, that's wow. – well, there you go. I had no – There you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's traveled. He flashed that money sign. He's used a lot of it to get around because uh, – that's something else. But, no, thank you for taking that time to talk about it. I'm glad you pointed them back out because I would have not even registered. But let's go on to uh, Andre Shout Drummond. To and Matt Mooney as well. There, there you go. Might be back on the two-way. There, we've mentioned everybody. <laughs> two-way. Yeah, I love it, bro. I love it. Going deep. <laughs> but what, what are we seeing about uh, Andre up in here? All right. Well, um, we can start with Andre. He played eight games with Cleveland. Um, the deal with Andre was they brought him in for – John Henson, Brandon Knight, and a second-round pick, which was going to be like the worst of Golden State and Cleveland second-round picks. Golden State's probably going to be good this next year, so that pick's going to suck. So they basically, that means that they got Andre Drummond for nothing. Um, I'm not. I don't think I would say that the experiment has mostly been a failure up to this point. I don't think that's a bad thing per se because again, the Cavaliers didn't give up anything to get him. But overall. Um, it just it didn't go as planned because I think they wanted to get a more extended look at him as a player. You know, they only got those eight games. They're expecting to finish the season with him. They wanted to see how he would work with those young guards. I, I mean, he's a fine player, but I think what he does best is, you know, finishing around the rim and rebounding, obviously, which rebounding is a bit of a lost art. And he's a, he's an okay defender. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a good rim protector, but overall, he gets cooked out on the perimeter like a lot of other slow traditional bigs. And the part where I have the biggest problem with Andre Drummond is just how badly he's wanted to expand his game when it really just doesn't look like it's something in the cards for him. You know, I mean, like a lot of centers in today's game, he's someone who has wanted to start taking more and more threes. He wants to handle the ball more. He wants to have more playmaking responsibilities. And I think he's just kind of proven that that's not his game but he keeps on trying to force it, you know? Um, yeah. You look at, like, someone like a Brooke Lopez who kind of had a elite career renaissance and was able to turn himself into a stretch five. The thing with Brooke Lopez is that he's always had good touch. He's always been a good free-throw shooter, and you always kind of knew that that was there and it just had to be unlocked. We obviously know the story with Drummond being one of the worst free-throw shooters of all time. And, again, he has improved there, but <laughs> he has had some horrific 
seasons from the free throw line. And that just, I, I don't think he's somebody who has any real shooting potential. Again, he, he thinks, you know, he can handle the ball more than really he has shown the ability to. And I, I think, I, I just kind of see him as someone who's desperately trying to change his game to fit with the modern NBA and get really a big paycheck, you know, but I, I just don't think it's working out very well for him. No, you're right. I mean, bad enough, you kind of described Andre in a nutshell in terms of someone who, you know, one of the worst free throw shooters, period, but someone who also is encouraged by himself, of course, to take step back threes. And someone who looks at himself as like this multi-positional player when it's like, actually, no, you're kind of a secretly limited player um, in one specific aspect as far as rebounding, obviously being a strength. But him wanting to do so much other um, things, which on the one hand, you know, power to you for thinking that you can. On the other hand, newsflash, sorry, but you can't. And I think that it, we both agree that it, he's just definitely going to peel that option, right? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, talking about the option now, the $28.7 million. Oh, yes, yes. I'm, I'm saying, I'm using to say, uh, he, like, talking about him as a player. Again, with his own opinion of himself, maybe he thinks there's a market out there for him. But, like, we think he's going to pickle the option, right? Well, this is something on my podcast about, you know, it's it's kind of been, if you look on, you know, Twitter, this is about the only ounce of news that you can find regarding the Cavs right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I want to say that he will, and I really don't see any reason for him not to, but there are reports saying that he is genuinely undecided on what to do, which, again, I can't really explain to you. The Cavaliers and him are so far apart in extension talks. I I, I see Andre as more of a $15 million player per year. And even that isn't something I'm super, super excited about doing with him. I think Andre views himself more in that 20 to $25 million range. So that right there just shows, you know, how huge of a gap there is between what the Cavaliers are willing to pay him and what he wants I don't think that the Cavaliers are going to reach an extension agreement with him. Um, I think he's another guy who, if he does pick up this option, is more likely to get traded at the deadline. Um, I think he will start the season with the Cavs, assuming that he does pick up this option. So, again, I I really don't – I mean, the Hornets are out there with cap space. You know, the Knicks could pull something off to bring him in. And, yeah, I mean, we know that the Knicks are, but I don't even know if the Knicks are that stupid to give him the contract that he wants. (laughs) Hey, I mean, you're right. Even with Mitch Robinson, would they even look and go, hey, we want him, right? Uh, it's a very next thing. But, again, I don't, I don't even know if, if they're a team that would, would pay him what he thinks he's worth. True, true. And that, that's interesting. I mean, I didn't think – I thought for – I don't know. Even for getting him for pennies on the dollar, I didn't think that was smart because they messed up their cap space, Cleveland. Now, on the one hand, it's like – what would they use a cap space for, given you know what free agent want to join there, or whatever? I, I I don't know. But on the other hand, I feel like you could use that space as flexibility in like step ladder trades or picking up some different picks and being a, a go between in certain trades between teams to make it happen and get some you know some sweeteners in in, in terms of draft picks for your troubles. And all that's gone now uh, for a player that isn't going to tremendously change your fortunes one way or another. And I mean, I don't know. Like he's just. He kind of just is, you know, like I don't look at him as like someone yeah. maybe a couple years ago, but like now I don't really have much of an opinion one way or the other. Just someone who, for better, or for worse, yeah. mostly worse, thinks he's better than he is. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you, you can't really fault the Cavs for making the move when they did, because obviously nobody predicted the league shutting down in March. Um, they thought that they were going to get a, lo- a much longer look at yeah. him than they did. 
So this is, you really can't blame the Cavs for, you know, not knowing that that was going to happen. And, again, you, you talk about, you know, limiting their flexibility. It is only this offseason, you know, he, he has an option that he will probably pick up. But, again, it's not like the Cavs are going to be that big of players in free agency this year anyway. And it's not like there are any names that are, you know, that the Cavs would be super-duper interested in. You know, maybe if you're – maybe, you know, the Cavs would have tried to get on that Christian Wood race. Maybe they will try to get on the Christian Wood race if um, if Drummond opts out. But overall, yeah. you know, you can take say that they could have used that you know that cap space to pick up some some bad money and take on some assets. But I still believe that this is a piece that again he's going to be an expiring contract this coming season. That is somebody that you can flip maybe at the deadline and get some you know assets for. Mm-hmm. So again, I don't. It, it was. I mean, the Andre Drummond thing with Cleveland is what it is. Again, it it didn't work out the way they planned, but I wouldn't call it a disaster by any stretch. I feel you on that. And I guess we'll we'll go from that to two uh, Cavs legends who also happen to be free agents in uh, Tristan Thompson <laughs> and Matthew Dellavedova. Tristan has been there uh, basically just uninterrupted from before LeBron up to now. Matthew Dellavedova kind of rode, uh, I don't know, he played very effectively in the 2015 finals and at points in the 2016 season. Got himself a good contract from the Bucks. Did not do very good there, at least uh, for the most part. Found himself back in Cleveland. Is now a free agent. Where do you see those two? Do they either of them have a future in Cleveland? I guess we can start with Tristan, who had the more productive season by far between the two. Well, yeah. Um, Tristan, who is coming off of a five-year, $82 million deal that he signed with the Cavs. Um, there were some extension talks between Tristan Thompson and the Cavaliers. Those broke down as soon as. The uh, Drummond made. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know, I think again, looking kind of at the Kevin Love thing as well. He's somebody whose whose value to this team goes beyond the court. As somebody who has really embraced being a leader, and overall is just you know um, somebody that players have endorsed bringing back. Both Kevin Love and Larry Nance on Twitter have both been very vocal about wanting to bring Tristan Thompson back, and for good reason. Um, you know, I think. He is somebody who would have a role on this team if he came back, even with Drummond. Um, mm-hmm. He's not going to be... I, 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 so for a long time, I kind of viewed what was going to happen with Tristan Thompson, because obviously, again, this isn't an ideal market for anybody, including him. What I kind of saw being a realistic thing was Tristan Thompson coming back to the Cavs for one year, on a, you know, a one-year and maybe bigger salary deal, and then that way he'd be able to test 2021 free agency, which obviously will be more lucrative than this year will be for him. Um, at this point, though, especially if Andre Drummond doesn't come back, you could see a Mankin multi-year deal with this team. Um, again, I think his value is around that mid-level. So even if the Cavs, you know, so say that the Cavaliers, that Andre Drummond declines his player option. And, you know, the Cavaliers have some money to spend in free agency. They could renounce their rights to Tristan Thompson because he has, like, a $28 million cap hold, you know, sign some other players, and then still bring him on to that mid-level deal because that's around what he's worth. So I don't think that, you know, it, there is, without a doubt, you know, a real, real possibility that Tristan Thompson comes back to this team. And personally, I would love to see it again. This is someone who, you know, is, is again – a fine defender, someone who can hold his own on that end, yeah. which kind of also tried to expand a little bit of his game on the offensive end. And it, you know, the difference between Andre Drummond and Tristan Thompson is that I don't know, man. I like 
Tristan looks a lot, a lot uglier doing it than Andre Drummond does. And it's almost <laughs> funny to watch. Like, watching Tristan Thompson try to shoot threes, you know, it just kind of gives me a laugh when I need it. And, you know, that alone I feel like. And he, he, that's the thing. With, you know, Tristan doesn't expect that to be a big part of his game moving forward the way that Andre yeah. does. But overall, Tristan, I think, still is a very valuable player. I, I, I would be cautious offering him too much money long term because I don't know if he's going to be worth that. But especially on a one-year deal, I could see the Cavs bringing him back for, you know, 10 to $13 million. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, he on has a one-year his, deal. Huh? On a one-year deal. Oh, okay. Sure, sure. I'm about to say, I'm sure he could get some interest um, around, you know, in free agency. I'm obviously in the Clippers in case they don't retain uh, Montrezl Harrell as someone yeah. kind of performing the same role. You know, there, there there's a spot out there where he can possibly join a contender, you know, and just kind of – stay in that zone, but at the same time, like, he had himself, uh, I don't want to say a breakout season, would that be too strong a word? But like, I don't know if breakout uh, season is the word, but he definitely had exactly. a very good year. He, he, he showed some stuff, yeah. Thinking back, I don't even know I can say he had a breakout year in I don't know, he's just a guy that kind of does good. He had a career, uh, 10 points, 10 rebounds a game in 27 minutes a night, you know, like, that's career highs. Yeah. Done a lot, he, um, Played really well, was a very efficient. Uh, he had a career high in points. I forgot. Um, well, not career high in points. No, it was career high in points. And he also uh, was knocking down some threes. Yeah, like I said, it, it looked really, really ugly, but some of them fell. Some of them. Yeah. Fell, so. 39% from three. He's a stretch five now, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> no, I but he looks too right. <laughs> He he does look he does look pretty ugly doing it. Well, you can tell he's definitely more about a a results guy over a process guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm I'm kidding. I don't know what to think. I like him. You know, what I mean, he was invaluable, like you said, on and off the floor for Cleveland. I could definitely see him returning. Um, I don't know if we could say the same for uh Delhi, Mr. Matthew Delvadova. What did you see from him? You know, I think he he played a little bit. He had some rough times. He had some decent times. Like in general, what did you see? More so than me. I'm just saying it from my like five game sample size. <laughs> well, with Delhi again, I think you know when when you look at all these older Cavs vets, another guy who was part of that championship team. This is someone who has more value to the Cavs than any other team in the league, just because he does kind of have that connection to the city, and he is one of those locker room voices here. Um, as far as what Jitty brings on the floor, he, he, you know he's he's a capable ball handler. He's a capable playmaker. Um, He's going to try on the defensive end, even if he's getting older and his, you know, his athleticism is, you know, Matthew Delvadova, the super athlete, has started to decline a little bit in his older age. But um, someone who's always going to give it his all when he's on the floor. Um, really a rough, rough shooting season for him. Um, I don't remember exactly what he shot. It's 23% from three on the season. Mm -hmm. and watching him play, you wouldn't even think it's that high. He really just completely lost all of his confidence in that shot. Um, but again, somebody who I think, just from a culture standpoint, is somebody that the Cavaliers are definitely looking at potentially bringing back in again. The Cavaliers are limited with roster spots, so we'll see what happens you know, with free agency additions and whatnot. But if there's an open roster spot for him, I definitely could see the Cavaliers bring him back on just like a one-year minimum deal. Um, again, just to kind of be that, that backup guard, you know, he can kind of have that Maybe a little bit lesser role than Exum, but someone who really most of his value comes off the floor. Yeah, I, I definitely see that. You're right. I mean, someone who hoisted up 91 three pointers and only made 21 of them. Uh, 
Yeah, Delhi did not have the stroke this season. No. And one other quick note on Del Vadova, too, is mm-hmm. that um, there has been, you know, some rumors that maybe he could be making a return to the – well, not a return, but that well, he could be making a return to the Australia um, – to the Australia – to the NBL is what I'm trying to say here. Sorry. Yeah. But, no, um, I get you. There was um, a report from some NBL report thing saying that maybe – I think it was the jack jumpers of the NBL. I want to say that's in Tasmania was interested in bringing in a marquee player, one of which, you know, was Matthew Delvadova. So there's a possibility that we could see him go to the NBL this season. I don't really, that hasn't seemed to pick up any steam. That was a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But just another thing to potentially look out for. I was going to say, especially with, um, in a situation where you don't know where the NBA is kind of going or where, not where the NBA is going, but in terms of when they're starting and, and how Delhi feels about just going back home, I could definitely see that happening. But, yeah, I, I, I'm going to keep moving right along because I've almost chatted your ear off, or you, we've both talked for about an hour and a half at this oh, point. It is about an hour and a half, your goodness. <laughs> I know, man. I, I, again, I wanna, I'm grateful for your time, but I definitely don't want to keep you on way too much later. But it's, it's been a good one so far, so I'm happy for it. But looking at um, the, their picks and assets, I mean, they had the fifth pick in the draft. Um, who do you think that – uh, Cleveland should target it, and kind of what do you think is their offseason plan of attack? We'll start with there, then go to the free agents. But, like, with that fifth pick, um, we're looking for someone, or are we just going for fit? We're going for someone who could still be the, the, the best player, potentially. What do you think Cleveland will be doing? Well, I mean, the Cavaliers, Kobe Altman in particular, has been very vocal that he's still taking the best player available approach in the draft. He has also said that, um, you know, he does look to improve this team defensively, whether that's come from internal development or drafting a player or signing someone in the free agency. Um, if you're talking about the draft, those two reports are kind of, you know, conflicting because the Cavaliers are reportedly very interested in Obi Toppin, who, you know, very well could be the best, you know, player talent-wise on the board when the Cavaliers are picking at number five. But if we're just going to talk about a pure fit, I think that is about the worst guy out of that top group to be on the Cavaliers. Um, just looking, and, and a lot of talk has been that maybe he could be a long-term Kevin Love replacement. The thing is, Kevin Love is still here, and Larry Nance is still here. You know, bringing Obi Toppin in, there's not going to be a whole lot of room for minutes. Um, you know, I, I don't think any of those guys are going to want to play long stretches at the five, and even if they do, you still have, you know, probably Andre Drummond on the roster at the beginning of next season, and maybe even Tristan Thompson. So I really just – I'm not a fan of that one at all. Um, he's – not only does he not really fit in positionally, but he is a bad defender, someone who's just going to get beat routinely, you know, on the perimeter and who's not going to protect the rim. He's not big enough to do that either. Um, so, you know, if you're going to talk about, you know, building a defensive team, you know, and just mm-hmm. trying to improve on that end, this team is not going to help you out in the slightest, you know. But um, <laughs> the – Intrigue with Obi Toppin comes on the offensive end of the floor. Um, I don't see him as a guy who ever has, you know, all-star potential. I don't think there are a lot of guys in this draft that do. But um, someone who has, you know, that potential to be a floor spacing, you know, four or five, maybe. I, I don't really I, – I hesitate to say five. Yeah. I just don't know if he's ever going to get there. But a floor spacing four who can do a little bit of, you know, everything on that end of the floor. I just I, – I don't personally like his fit in Cleveland at all. I, I think he would be held back, again, like I said, just fighting for minutes. Um, and overall, I, I agree with the take the best player available to an extent, but, uh-huh. you know, where, where I kind of start to veer away with that is, you know, we're not really looking at any guys here who are going to be like all-stars. You're looking at someone in this draft at this fifth pick who can be a piece, 
on the sure. team. Not necessarily one of you know your, your main guys, but a piece. And I think that there are better options to look at if you're if you're just going to be adding one of those pieces. Most definitely. You're forming the collective in here. You're not going to come in from day one and be a guy that we look to like, oh, the franchise savior. You know, you're going to be part of that best, uh, a, a good set of other decent pieces that you can hope to build the next uh, decent Cavs team around. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, so I'm with you on that. Um, as far as uh, free agency, uh, are there any free agents that you want Cleveland to pursue or that you think that they will? Um, I listed guys like Josh Jackson and Chris Dunn. Um, Chris Dunn gets depending on the money that's available for Cleveland, but guys who, you know, still have some untapped potential, potentially, um, and are, are young enough, they're, they're going to come in and, you know, not only probably reclaim some of their own value, but kind of help this team in certain aspects. I still like Josh Jackson's uh, potential playmaking and thought that he did a decent job in Memphis at the end of the year. Chris Dunn's defense, of course, cannot be um, just overstated. Uh, neither can his... Uh, lackluster offensive game, but, like, who do you look at as free agent targets that you think Cleveland uh, would be a good match for? Yeah, I've thought about Chris Dunn a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think just, you know, between the, you know, fit in the front, in the backcourt with Cleveland and the fact that he's a restricted free agent and they're going to have to play that game with him, um, I, I, I see it as a possibility, but I don't really – I wouldn't expect that to happen personally. Um, you talk about Josh Jackson a little bit as well. Reports are that the Cavaliers have three guys on their radar being uh, drumroll Josh Jackson, Pat <laughs> Connaughton, and Michael Kidd Gilchrist, the big three that's going to save Cleveland. There um, you are. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're probably, especially if they draft a big like Obi Toppin, they're definitely going to be looking for wing help in free agency. One guy that I really liked in particular was Derek Jones Jr. as somebody who could make a target with that full non-taxpayer mid-level exception, which was going to be a little bit under $10 million most likely um, with him, you know, he's a long athletic defensive minded player who can play the three or the four. Um, again, he's someone who has struggled with his shot, but you know, very, very young who has potential to get better on that end. The Cavaliers have come out and said that they are, well, I guess the Cavaliers themselves haven't come out, but there are reports that they're not going to be pursuing Derek Jones, which is disappointing. Um, that is. I guess, you know, the concerns there are just that, you know, he's a high flyer who has had some injury concerns. And, you know, maybe you just want to steer away from giving him, you know, long-term money because of that you, you fear for injury. So I, I understand that to an extent, but it was still kind of disappointing to hear that. Um, Josh Jackson is the number one guy that I think that they should be looking at in free agency. Um, another kind of, you know, physically gifted wing, you know, has the potential to be a really good defender. You know, whether he figures out on that end is yet to be seen. But um, never found a role in Phoenix. Um, has had some off-court issues. This past season really lit it up in the G League for the Memphis Hustle. And um, yep. when he got his opportunity to play in Memphis as well for the big league team, um, I thought he, he he fit in all right. He's somebody who I see as, you know, someone who still has untapped potential who, again, could be in that mix if things break right for a starting spot in the Cavs next year. Again, that's not saying much being that, you know, the guy that you're you're competing against is Chetty Osman. But <laughs> Real race there. <laughs> but uh, somebody who I would like to see again. He's not going to cost you that much. He's going to be less than that full mid-level that the Cavs have on it. So, you know, that's a good target. Um, Pat Connaughton is, you know, just another guy who could fill in some minutes on the wing. Um, never been the best three-point shooter. He's only at around 34%, but in theory, brings that shooting, um, has some size, another good athlete. So those are just kind of some of the guys that, you know, the Cavaliers, we could really specifically see targeting. 
I get you on that. I mean, those are some interesting picks, again, that fit kind of their vision, which I guess we can kind of go into now. I, I think we can kind of all agree, from your vantage point, the front office, uh, coaching staff, we, we all kind of look at this as another year development for this Cavs team, right? Right. Yeah, despite Got you. saying that the Cavaliers are going to be pushing for a playoff spot, I that's just Dan Gilbert, the owner, wanting to make the playoffs, and I, I don't think that that's really realistic. I mean, that's such a Dan Gilbert thing to do as well, so I'm not totally shy. Like, you know, say something without actually having looked at it uh, with at least a more astute eye. But um, what 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 signs, real quick, do you think, let's say we're at this point next season and the Cavs have right. what would you consider signs of success for Cleveland? Obviously, we can't look at the win-loss record, but, you know, what are you going to look back and go, okay, you know what, we continue to take steps from where we were in the 2019-2020 season, and we took further steps to the 2020-2021 year? Well, I mean, I think, you know, even if the Cavaliers are a team that finishes in the bottom of, you know, the league next year, I, I, we'll get into that in a minute. I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. I see the Cavs as a team who could finish in that, you know, I expect them to be kind of in the higher 20s at a win mark, you know, looking at that kind of 27-28 game range. Obviously, anything in the 30s I think you could consider a success for this team. But I really just think it's all going to come down to just watching these young players, you know, the young guards in particular with Garland and Sexton and Windler and KPJ and, you know, whoever they draft this year. It's really just going to be about them and what their progression looks like because even if this team isn't a team that has success on the floor next year, Next year's draft is what you're really, really looking at as a guy where, as a draft where you can really pick up a franchise-altering guy. You know, whether it's Jonathan Kaminga or Jalen Green or um, Kate Cunningham. You know, I, I obviously don't know a ton about any of those guys. I still have a lot of work to do, and we obviously haven't really seen him play that much. Yeah, that's but, true. Um, next draft is, you know, if this year were just another year where they just kind of hover at the bottom of the league and it's just kind of another development year, I don't think that would be the worst thing in the world. It's probably not what a Cavs fan wants to hear. You know, they're probably kind of tired of all the losing. But, I, I, again, I think just further progression like we talked about with, with Darius, um, a key thing, I guess, could be getting to the rim, Colin making strides on the defensive end, just KPJ putting it all together, and just getting a chance to see Windler play. Um, you know, I think th- those will be the things that Cavs fans have to look forward to. I mean, and I mean, listen, if it's positive stuff, like you said, moving forward, I guess it's going to be a painful year, but one that there's hope of optimism uh, ahead. And I guess that would lead to the next question. What, you know, they finished 15th this past year. What place do you think the Cavs will finish this upcoming season? I mean, I don't know. I, I have no clue how the West is going to shake out like, right now. So looking at overall record, you know, or the um, overall standings, I'm not sure. But okay. I think that this is a team that could – finish ahead of the maybe I don't I don't think they'll finish last in the conference. I think this is a team that they're, they're probably they're not going to be in the playoff hunt. But um I think you could see them, you know, kind of wrestling, you know, New York Knicks, Detroit Pistons, maybe Charlotte Hornets if things don't turn out well there. You know, and and kind of in that I think it'll be kind of that mix of teams kind of near the bottom of the of the conference. But um I definitely don't think they should finish last. I think this team clearly has more than Detroit. Um, we obviously don't know what Blake Griffin's going to bring. We obviously don't know if Blake Griffin's going to still be there. And the Knicks are going to keep being keep being the Knicks. Um, maybe they get Fred Van Vliet. Even if they do get Fred Van Vliet, I don't know if that really changes their fortune that much. So I don't expect it to be that much different this next season. Again, we aren't seeing any major shakeups with this team. It's just going to kind of be slow progress 
development. Get you on that. Hey, I mean, and now we're, we've pretty much almost got here again, Justin. Thank you. We're uh, at superlative time. So, I, I mean, this is what I like. I just kind of do the general best, worst, that sort of thing. Uh, we got a few of them, so we can kind of run through them uh, just rapid fire. Best player on the Cavs right now. I'll, I'll still go with Kevin Love here. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I knew Drummond's it was a one. I don't know where to put Drummond, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna kind of just ignore Drummond here, and I'll say Kevin Love, although Colin Sexton is rising. Okay, that's a good one. I like that. Uh, worst player, and this is, I mean, I'm not trying to be negative in that way, but someone who might get playing time, but maybe it isn't time yet, whether because he's in the beginning of his career or in the back end. Well, um, if you're just going to look at purely worst player, um, with Ante Tizitskan, like we mentioned, um, he's playing in Maccabee Tel Aviv now in Israel. With him gone, I think Jordan Bell takes the crown as the worst player currently on the roster. Okay. Um, Again, nice I, I don't think that's the guy who will mm-hmm. make the team. If you're just going to be talking about, you know, and, and this isn't to say that Jetty Osmond is the worst player, but if you're talking about a guy who might be getting minutes that he doesn't deserve, I think over, at least over the past couple seasons, Jetty is probably that guy. And again, that's okay. not to say that he's the worst player on the team, but if you're going to talk again, like, he's, he's gotten more minutes than he probably has earned. Oh, no, I definitely get that. I'm with you on it. I mean, someone that, you said it, is, is more of the circumstance than anything he's actually flashed on the court that have him on the floor. Yeah. For, for as much as he is. Okay, cool. All right, so the player, and this, I think I'm with you kind of on this, but the player with the highest potential. I'll go with Kevin Porter Jr. Again, I think uh-huh. he can really be a do-it-all wing that is just – again, it, it, you can talk about him, you can talk about Sexton – but I really do believe that just he, he is he he is someone who could really really have a complete game and really be a high level player. Yeah, the, the the pieces are there. I definitely like the potential, the balance, the shooting. Like you said, we talked to him a little bit ago, but he's someone that definitely I agree with you has the most potential moving forward. Let's talk about a player who's most likely to be moved next season. You have a couple of candidates. Uh, well, I guess really just two in my mind, but like. Anybody can be moved. Who who do you think is most likely to be moved? Andre Drummond, without a doubt. Um, again, I, I I don't expect them to ever get close on extension talks. Um, I I still think that Drummond would be a fool to opt out of his player option. Again, you're making twenty eight point seven million dollars. So you don't turn that down, especially not him. Um, so yeah, I I don't expect him to be on this team past the deadline. And if he is, I don't expect him to be here past next season. So. Okay, what you on that? What you on that? A player that folks, just in general, that aren't Cavs fans who don't watch a lot of games, uh, you know, someone who may have, let's just say, forgot that Dylan Windler was on the Cavs roster. Um, guys that players <laughs> that folks are really sleeping on. Which player do you have uh, that people should keep more of an eye on? Well, like I said, I think as of late, Larry Nance has kind of got a little bit more recognition. I'm not sure why. You know, all of a sudden, that's the guy. But I would say yeah. overall, that's somebody who really is, like I said earlier, an underrated player in the league. And um, if, you, if you need to have someone else, um, in, in your eyes, it's obviously Dylan Windler. Um, <laughs> yep. And if we're going to go with a super deep cut, we'll go with Dean Wade because, um, like I said, I don't even know if Dean Wade is going to be an NBA player, but I like Dean Wade. So you're, you're not the only one. I've heard that from a few people now. I had Alex West on a while back. Um, from Red Team Scouting, and he was another guy who was big on Dean Wade. He's someone that's definitely gotten some love. So you would think I'd remember him after all that, but here we are. 
Um, <laughs> let's go to uh, I, I call it the the Metal World Peace Award. Uh, no, 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 yes player. You can interpret that as ever you'd like to, but that's what I call it, the no, 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 yes kind of guy. Who on the Cavs roster fits that when you hear that? I'll go with Tristan Thompson for that. <laughs> when he pulls up three <laughs> off the dribble. When he's pulling up for three, when he tries to make, like, there have been opportunities where, you know, like, or just instances where he has the ball in the mid post and the shot clock's winding down and he has to put it on the floor. Tristan Thompson has never been somebody to put the ball on the floor. I'll put it that way. But yeah. you know what? There were, some, there were some magical moments this season where, you know, he, he put up the three and it went in. So... I love the the magical moments then, bro. Yeah. There you go. I mean, there it is. And you said it. This year was a a little bit how they pitted me that with him, and maybe he can see that magic going if he returns. All right, so this one I did just to kind of diversify, and with some teams it's been still pretty cut and dry. With other teams it's been more interesting. But rather than just say one player in a specific situation, I decided to go with two. So uh, game on the line, last shot. Who are the top two players that you go to? In that scenario, and you could do it uh, both equally. You could do like a one A, one B. But who are the two guys on the Cavs roster that you go to for uh, you know a game time or game winning shot? I'll say Love and Sexton. Um, Sexton, uh-huh. I, I don't know which one I'm going to put ahead of the other, but Sexton just for his pure ability to get a bucket, and um, Love just you know somebody who's been there. You know, again, someone who can score from all three levels really. You know, in the post and that mid range area, and you know you can. He can get a shot off from three as well, obviously. So th- those will be my two guys. Sexton is kind of the more, you know, just uh, probably if you're going to just say go get a bucket, probably Sexton, but you got to include Kevin Love in there as well just because he's been there. He's been there before. Every time I think of Game on the Line, I think about that one game winner he had against the Clippers as a member of the Timberwolves like seven years back. And, and how big that was. Yeah, he's a guy, you know, that you can do a pick and pop, kind of get in a lane, do maybe a, I don't know about a lob anymore, but something to kind of get a basket. In, so. <laughs> I don't know about a lob. But, uh. <laughs> but that's cool. That's cool. Now, this is interesting. Uh, top two guys you go to for a clutch defensive possession, and why is it Chetty Osman? <laughs> well, um, if you're going to say, let's see, if I were to make a list, where would Chetty Osman be on that list? <laughs> Next he to last or ahead of Dylan might, Windler? He might I, I might put Dylan Windler ahead of him just because we don't know <laughs> Dylan Windler. We know Jetty. But um maybe he goes ahead of Darius. <laughs> oh maybe. wow. Yeah, that's not saying a whole lot either, right? No, it is not. Um maybe I will put him ahead of Darius just because he's a bigger body. But um, if we're gonna talk about the top defense two defensive guys, I'll go with Nance as my number one. Again, someone who is just so div- so versatile, um, you know, especially on if it were a big, you know, someone who's a winger or a big, I think I would choose Larry. If I were to go with a guard, I might go with Dante Exum, someone who, again, is not a lockdown defender by any means, but is another bigger guard who can, you know, stay in front of somebody. But um, this list would not be complete without mentioning Love, who has the greatest stop in NBA history against that. Yep, so, yep, ever. Ever. Don't ever forget that one. That was clutch. I'm with you on that, man. <laughs> oh, man. I did, When you said that, when you said don't forget Kevin Love, my brain immediately flashed that. Because that play, I was like, all right, Kevin, move those feet. Move those feet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he did it. 
did and it. he did just that, man. You're right. You can't ever disrespect the defense after a play like that. But um, Justin, any any parting thoughts on the Cavs just in general? Uh, this has been a deep dive for sure, almost an hour and forty in as we wrap this up. But like, what? Let's talk about your pod a little bit more. Uh, what 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 can you know? Obviously, deep dive analysis, but. What can fans come to kind of find out or just perspective listeners come to find out about uh, the Cavs Central Pie? Yeah, I mean, really with that, um, you know, we upload twice a week. Um, you know, just really anything that is going on with the Cavs. I discussed, you know, Dan Galinsky over at King James Gospel. Um, Cavaliers fan-sided, you know, kind of site. He does a lot of those with me. We have other guests on as well. So really, yeah, just just deep dives, breakdowns into anything going on with the Cavaliers. Um, if you're interested in anything on this whole Andre Drummond situation, um, any free agency, any draft stuff, um, go ahead and give it a listen because we talked about basically all of it up to this point. There we go. Hey, you know you got a subscriber already, but like, if you're out there, ladies and gentlemen, make sure to check out Justin Matcham and the Cavs Central Pod. Uh, just a reminder, you can follow Mr. Justin, Justin on Twitter at JustinMatch26. Uh, Justin, thanks a lot for coming on, man. I really appreciate you. And uh, we're going to have to come get you back on again, uh, preferably after the Cavs make their uh, fifth pit selection and or trade Andre Drummond. Looking forward to it. I'd, I'd love to come back. This was a lot of fun. Again, um, we're at a, we're almost at the 145 mark, so... Um, Obviously, yeah, a lot to talk about, a lot more to talk about. So, um, yeah, if something big happens with the Cavs, I'd be more than happy to come back. Oh, yeah, man. And honestly, I mean, SBC alum, good buddy already. Like, it, it sure. might, we can even find something how to be Cavs-related. You want, We'll make it happen, get you back on. But I just want to say I really appreciate you working with me and getting on. And thanks a lot, my bro. No problem, man. Thank you. All right, of course. And uh, you can follow me, as always, on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Make sure to check out HoopBall again, HoopDashBall.com. On Twitter at Hoopbolt. Until then, ladies and gents, I'm Frosty. Y'all stay Frosty, and we will talk again real soon. All right, y'all. This has been a Hoopbolt presentation.